Well, hey guys, thanks for joining us wherever you're joining us from. And before I dive into the message today, I just want to take a second and talk through this upcoming season for our church. Uh, we're in the process of transitioning from pre-recorded video services to more of a live streaming format. And so it's going to take us a little bit of time. I'm sure there's going to be some kinks we're going to have to work out in the process. And so, uh, you know, Bottom line, we're really excited about seeing people come together in person again. We're, we're excited about that. And we're also, we, we're very committed to serving those of you in the church that are in you know, a vulnerable population or those of you who are uncomfortable about coming back in this season. And, and we're committed to bringing you guys church online for the duration of this season. And you know, as we go through this together as a church, I, I just want to encourage us all. We need to have grace for each other. Everybody's gonna have a little bit different comfort level. And so let's have grace for each other as we walk through this process. And you know, we anticipate in the upcoming weeks as our capacity has increased, that we're not gonna have to worry about the, uh, the RSVPs ahead of time. You know, we know it's uh, a lot of folks are gonna be slow coming back during this season. And then also hey, it's summer and a lot of you like to play and we'll have an overflow set up in case we run into any issues, uh, you know, with physical distancing. We've got every other row removed and have a lot of things in place here. And so uh, we just want to invite you to come, you know, check out our website ahead of time to confirm. But and for all those who are uncomfortable coming, uh, please continue to tune in online Saturday at six, Sunday at 10 or really, you know, any time after that that you want to. And so. Let's go ahead and let's dive in and let's get to what we're talking about here today. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn on over to Exodus chapter 14. And this is a, a section of scripture I've been excited about and excited about teaching through, but we're not gonna make it through the whole chapter today, but I wanna highlight a couple of really neat things uh, in this dramatic event here. And just to set the stage and remind you where we were at, God has freed his people from Egypt. Um, rescued them. He's delivered them. And then what we looked at last week is instead of taking them on the direct route to the promised land, the direct route to Israel, he takes them on the long route because he knows they're not ready for battle. And if they see battle, they're going to be tempted to return to Egypt, actually. And so he takes them on a longer route. And what we really looked at and talked about is sometimes God knows what you are in the place to be ready for and not. And sometimes you're in a season of life that it just feels like a desert season, a long season that, you know, isn't, you're just not getting through it at any sort of rate of speed that you'd like to. And there may be a reason God may have you in that season to prepare you for something that he has ahead of you. And so don't lose heart, don't lose faith during that season. And so at the end of chapter 13, we see this amazing verse where the, the, this incredible manifestation of the presence of God, the, the cloud by day and the, the pillar of fire by night, you know, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. And that it goes out and leads them as they go through the desert. And so in chapter 14, verse one, we come to this passage here. And it says this, um, I'm gonna pick up in verse 22 or 13. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi Haroith between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And so the Israelites did this. Now, here's what's interesting. So God takes them, and I don't know if you caught that, but God, as they're going through the desert, God says, here, I want you to actually take a detour route. There's a direct route through, through the desert, many scholars believe, um, that, hits, that goes right across the top of the Gulf of Aquaba, one of the legs of the Red Sea. And so instead of going the direct route, God says, I want you on this desert journey to take a, take a little detour to the south. And actually, he brings them to a place where they are backed into the corner. They're, they're in an area where they're backed against the wall. There's no easy way out of this situation because he knows Egypt is coming. And, and God actually allows them, not, not just allows them, God, this is so interesting, God brings them into the situation where their back is up against the wall or literally back is up against an ocean, up against the Red Sea, right? And he allows them to be in this place so that he can rescue them in a mighty way. And through that, not only the people of Israel, but all the nations that surround as, as Israel, you know, years later will go into the promised land. They, the nations around have heard what this God did for them. And so this is such a dramatic uh, scene in the whole account of scripture. But to get there, they have to get into a place where they're backed into a corner, where there's no easy way out, where it, it appears hopeless. And you know, sometimes in our lives, God actually brings us into situations where there's not an easy end in sight, where we can't solve the problem that's in front of us. And I've experienced this. I don't know, maybe you've experienced this in life too. Actually, I, I joke around because it's one of these frustrating, sometimes frustrating things about following God, right? We want to see God work in powerful ways. We, we love a miracle, but we rarely want the situation to, to be in a situation that requires one. Have you noticed that about you? Like you love to see God come through and move powerfully, but usually him doing that brings you into a situation first where you need him to do that, right? And we don't like that so much. It's one of the frustrating things about following God, but it's one of the truths that he brings us. He often allows us or brings us into a situation where we cannot get out of this thing on our own. I remember as we were just starting Life Community Church and uh, you know, we had done just Saturday nights for a whole year at this point and, you know, just struggling, trying to get this thing to grow and, you know, praying all year long that God would bring, you know, just some kids, a, a family, you know, finally we got one family. And then uh, as we're, uh, as we're continuing and as we're growing, uh, we, we decide to go full time with this thing, to walk away from a salary and to go full time and to launch Sundays. And we knew that's what God was calling us to do, you know, and that was a decision we had to make in that moment. And yet, um, right after we decided that, it, the same week I got a phone call that we might not have a place to meet anymore. You know, we were meeting uh, next door to the church building in what now is the gym over there in this, in this nice little event center room. 
We had all these plans in place and all of a sudden the pressure was on and I called everybody. I called all, you know, all up and down. I called the schools. We knew, you know, we felt we were called out here on the Redlands. And so I called everybody around trying to figure out a way out of this, a way that we could continue. And there was a way, but it was a way that I didn't ever think would happen. And somebody said, have you ever thought about that big, giant, empty building over there? And I said, of course I've thought about it. And they said, well, I'm gonna start pursuing it. And so I took it to our small group. I said, guys, this is ridiculous, but let's pray about this. I mean, it was crazy to think about, you know, I knew how much they wanted for the little couple office suites next door. And yet I, I said, guys, this is, you know, this is ridiculous at this point. We've got like, you know, 35, 50 on a great night. And let's pray about that big giant building over there. And long story short, three or four months later, God was moving us into here. And, you know, now he's enabled us to purchase it and build it out. And we're so thankful for the provision of the space, but it took us getting into a situation where we didn't have an easy way out, where I couldn't figure out on my own how this was gonna work. It took being in a season uh, where literally I was preaching on stepping out in faith. And I'm like, God, isn't just walking away from a salary like enough of a faith step right now? Do I really need to deal with this right now? And of course God came through and he moved. But you know, Miracles happen in dead-end situations. They, they usually happen when we get to the end of ourselves. And part of that is allowing yourself to, to dream dreams, to, to have goals, to have a vision, a God-focused vision for your life that's bigger than what you can just accomplish on your own. Something you need him to. I've heard another preacher say this, and I liked it. It says, if your vision isn't bigger than what you can accomplish, it's probably insulting to God because he wants us to step into a place where we're reliant on him, where it's, where it's not just something that we can easily solve on our own. All right, moving on. In verse five, it says this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. See, these guys were only an economic, uh, you know, a resource to them. They didn't care about these people ever. Uh, Pharaoh never cared about them. They were just there for their own use. They were there to be used as pawns to build Pharaoh's kingdom, to build his wealth, to build his prestige, his power. And so all of a sudden they realized, you know, after the plagues, they let them go, but now the real God behind their lives, which was their riches, came to the forefront, right? And they said, what have we done? What have we done? We let, we let our slaves go. So, verse 6, so he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt. Remember, at this point, Egypt is the superpower in this region of the world. They are the most powerful nation in the world. And so he takes his huge army, verse eight, says this, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses, chariots, horsemen, and troops pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Harayath opposite 
of Baal Zephon. Now, I just want to highlight something in this. Earlier, if you remember, earlier um, during the plagues, what we saw is Pharaoh, first of all, he does not acknowledge God. He thinks he's a God. And so he said, who is this God of the Hebrews that I should listen to him or obey him? I'm not obeying your God. I don't, I don't believe in your God. Well, after this, he believes in their God because he'd seen what, what God had done over the 10 plagues in Egypt. And yet somehow his, his lust for power overwhelms the memory of that. And actually it says in here that, that God hardens his heart, which is an interesting and scary thought. But what you see in the pattern is that over and over through the plagues, Jason preached through the plagues, and over and over through the plagues, you see Pharaoh hardens his heart, Pharaoh hardens his heart, Pharaoh hardens his heart. And finally at the end, it says God hardens his heart. And there's this process, and it's a very sobering thought that you can actually resist God to the point where he finally just sort of lets you go your way. You know, in, in Hebrew, this idea of hardening of the heart actually can carry the connotation of the fact that God actually strengthens him in what was already in his heart. That this was, which he's proved, right? That he's proved a cruel taskmaster. He, he's proved a, a, a horrible leader, that he's just using people for, for his own, that he's willing to oppress people and use them for his own purposes. And so actually in the Hebrew, this can mean God strengthens him in what was already in his heart, almost just confirming what was already in his heart. Almost like, it's like, hey, you're hard-hearted. Okay, go that way. See where it takes you. And God will not be mocked. He says, through this, actually, a lot of people, I will receive glory. In other words, a lot of people all around will recognize who the one true God is. And, and, and I think, you know, wherever you're at, this should cause you to stop and think. Because it seems like as you read scripture that you can, as a person, resist God up until the point where he sort of says, okay, Go your own way. And that should be a sobering thought. And another thing to realize is, you know, it's not going to end well for the Egyptian army. And when you harden your heart to God, when you refuse to follow him in whatever sphere of leadership, family, um, work, whatever sphere of leadership you are, just in your life in general, there's always collateral damage. Both in the 10th plague that happened and what happens to the whole nation of Egypt that we've already seen, and also in what's about ready to happen to Pharaoh's army. And, and, and walking determinedly in sin always has collateral damage. See, one of the great kind of things in our culture is this idea of, hey, it doesn't really matter what you do as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else. But the truth is, it always hurts somebody else. There's always collateral damage. There's, there's always a cost to our actions when we resist God and push back against God and refuse to follow him. Other people always get hurt because of, because of wicked actions. All right, so Pharaoh pursues him. Verse 10, verse 10 says this, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them 
They were terrified, the people of Israel. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, now get this, okay. So, so they're in a place of incredible fear. God has just rescued them in a dramatic way. They've seen God move powerfully on their behalf. And yet now their back is up against the wall. They find themselves in a place where they don't see any way out of the situation. And they cry out to God, which is a good thing. But they don't stop there. And I think this is so much, many of our tendency as people. Here's what, they, here's what they do. So they cry out to God. And here's what they said to the leader, to Moses. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. We were better off in slavery. At least they fed us. At least, you know, at least we were surviving. And when their back's back to, up against the wall, when they're in this situation, they cannot see any way out of it. And the only thing they can see is, man, we were so much better off in the slavery that we were in. And you know, our tendency, we mentioned this last week, our tendency in times of hardship and times of uncertainty is always to go back to what was familiar. Even if it wasn't that great. I mean, they have this idea Hey, we were so much better off back in Egypt. We were so much better off. No, you weren't. Egypt was lousy. Egypt was op oppression. Egypt was awful. But in this moment, when there's, their back's up against the wall, they can't see any of that. All they can see is we don't have a way out. We're scared. We don't know what the season looks like. We don't know how to get out of this moment. And all they want to do is go back. And I, and I think there's something in that for us. Because I know for you and for me, man, when we find ourselves in uncertainty, when we find ourselves in fear, um, there's so many times we prefer to go back to that thing. Maybe it was a thing that enslaved us. Maybe it was a season in our life that we look back on fondly, but if we're real honest, there was a lot of things in that season um, that during the time that we were in that season, there was a lot of bondage there, right? There wasn't a lot of joy there. And we tend to always have this idea, either that the grass is greener on the other side where we're going, or that, man, the good old times were so much better. And God, God in this situation, I think, as, as they begin to cry out, he's thinking, are you serious? Don't you remember? Don't you remember the way you cried out to me? And now in this moment, you're ready to drop it all and go back into that? You know, I've noticed this thing in my life at times. You, you realize that they're in the situation even after they've seen God move powerfully on their behalf. I mean, dramatically and powerfully as he freed them from Egypt. And yet in this moment, they can't remember that. All they can remember is the situation that they're in and the fear that they're in. 
And I know even though I look back and I have, you know, just some so, so clear of God moments when God stepped in and moved on my behalf, things that are, are really unexplainable um, any other way than God moved powerfully in that situation. And yet, even after that, I've had moments where as I look at my life, as I look at where we're at, as I look at things maybe God's calling us to do, I still find myself shrinking back in fear and shrinking back in doubt and just going, God, are you actually gonna do this? It would be better to go back and do something else. It would be better to get back to something else. Maybe some of you are in that kind of situation right now. You know, there's, there's something within us that doesn't believe that God can do something better for us in the future. I've noticed that in my life. There's things that I had tended to cling to. I'll have an amazing experience. I'll have an amazing, um, you know, time, take some time off with the family and it'll be amazing. And then I'll find myself in my heart drifting to this place of wanting to close my hands, hold on tightly to whatever I have right now and, and just cling to it with all I've got. And I realize as I stop to pray about it, don't I believe that God can do something even better in the future than he's done in the past? Do you believe God can do something better in the future, in your life, in your family's life, than you've seen in the past? See, I think that's part of the essence of following God in faith, is trusting and knowing that, that He is good. And, and the things that He's done in the past are just indicators of what, what He can do in the future, right? Not that we get to manipulate God or somehow, you know, if we can just work up enough fervor and faith, we can twist his arm to do something. No, life doesn't always end up the way we wish it would. We know that. You can't read through scripture without seeing that. But yet, God is able, God is able to move incredibly powerfully in your and my lives. I think of Ephesians, I'll paraphrase it, but it says, now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all we, we ask or think, to him be the power. That's the God we serve. And yet there's something in us that when our back is back up against the wall, when we actually get to the place where we cannot solve this thing on our own, we forget that and we just wanna go back, right? You wanna go back in, in dating situation, possibly back to that bad relationship or that relationship that you've just invested so much time in that you feel like, you know, I, I just, I, I've got too much into it, right? Even though you would say it was lousy. It, maybe it was a, a career thing and you look back at an area of your life and you think, well, that was so much easier. I made so much more money, but you were miserable. You hated it. But there's something when we find ourselves in uncertainty that, that wants to draw us back into there instead of allowing us to go, okay, God, I don't know how the situation's gonna end, but this is where I am. And I'm gonna trust you to move in this situation. I believe God can do something better in the future than he's done in the past. Man, some of you in this season, in this situation with where we're at as a world, you need to hear that right now. God can do something better in the future than what he's done in the past. He can do something better in your life, in your family's life. Don't lose hope. 
Don't lose sight of that in the midst of wherever you are with your back against the wall. So verse 13, and this is where we're going to leave it this week. I know, wait for it. We're going to get to the the dramatic here, but just wait for it because I want to leave you in the tension of this, this moment to think about this. Because honestly, that's where a lot of our lives are lived. It's not always the immediate rescue, is it? We're often, a lot of our lives are lived in the in-between time in wondering, God, how are you going to come through in this moment? God, I, I have to keep putting one foot in front of the other. I have to keep being obedient. So verse 13, Moses answers the people. He says, do not be afraid. <laughs> yeah, right, Moses, right? Have you noticed Jesus said that all the time too? One of the things he, he said very frequently, why are you afraid? Don't be afraid. Who's with you? Who's with you? Who's got this? Who's got eternity? Even if it all ends up going awful in this life, even if you end up like that whole group of people in Hebrews 11, that, you know, there's the hall of faith, hall of fame guys. And then there's that other side that were also commended for their faith. They got sawed in two, that were destitute, that lived in caves. None of us want to sign up for that, right? But even if that's you, in the light of eternity, Who's got you? Who's got you? So Moses says, you don't understand. You see that pillar? You see that cloud? You see that fire? Who's with you? Who did you just see deliver you? He's still with you. He's still with us. So Moses said, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today you will never see again. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Yes, this enemy, yes, this circumstance is terrifying to you, but it's going away. And here's what he says. Here's what you, you need to do. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. You need only to be still. And this is where it's so important. As a follower of Jesus, that you're tuned into what the Holy Spirit is leading you towards. And he says, I want to remind you, in this circumstance, yes, there is nothing you can do. Your back is up against the wall. You've done everything you can do. You marched. In fact, God brought you here. He, he, he brought you into the situation. And in this situation, the only thing you can do is be still and wait for him. Be still and wait for him. And when you find yourself in whatever season or whenever you find yourself with your back up against the wall in life, and it's so important to, to lean in to to draw near to the Holy Spirit, to hear where he's leading you and, and what he's calling you to do. And obviously that begins in prayer. You know, you, you saw in this scripture that the first thing the Israelites do is cry out to God in prayer. And that is awesome because that is the response of people who follow God over millennia. That is our first response is to cry out to God in prayer. Prayer is, we, we did a series on prayer. Prayer is one of the primary means that God has it ordained to work in this world. 
And so as a people of God, we need to be praying. In fact, um, one of the reasons I think so many people don't see the tangible activity of God and of the Holy Spirit in their life is they just don't pray. They don't seek him. It says in scripture, you will seek me and find me. If you search for me with all your heart, I'll be found by you. It's a principle. And so many people, they just don't pray. They just don't seek him. But how do you know when you find yourself in a tough situation, how do you know if you should keep pressing ahead, if you should keep banging your head up against the wall, if you should keep working, if you should keep pushing, or if you should just, like Moses said, be still and wait for God? How do you know that? I've got just a couple of questions that I want to leave you with that I think will help you discern that in your life. The first one is this, to ask this question, when you find yourself in a situation where you can't see the way out, where it feels like your back's against the wall and you don't know where to go next, ask yourself, is there a step of obedience or wisdom that I need to take? See, a lot of times you don't know what to do, but you know that there's a step that God's already called you to do. You just haven't got around to doing it. Maybe it's something with your financial life that you know there's a step that God's called you to take to get on the path to being more free in that area of your life. You, you just haven't done it. Um, or there's a step of wisdom in your life. You've just been ignoring it. Your mama's been telling you something and you know in the back of your mind, she's right, but you just haven't been listening or doing it right. So sometimes the fact that your back is up against the wall doesn't mean there's nothing you can do because there's actually a step you can take in that circumstance? Is there a step of obedience or wisdom that I need to take? The second one is this, am I giving up on this situation too early? I see so many people and listen to me, especially you young people that are listening. Like if, if you're in high school or if you're, you're just starting a career or trying to make it through school or, or, or whatever, listen to me. Because one of the biggest things I see is people just give up too early. They give up too soon in a situation. I, ha I have a saying that I think um, characterizes my life often and I try to instill it in others too, is always like make the second phone call or never take the first no. And there's too many times in people's lives, they just give up way too soon. A, a while ago, my refrigerator broke down and it's so frustrating because it was just outside of warranty, right? I mean, this thing was just still looks brand new. And yet I'm like, ah, you know, I was too cheap to pony up the extra cash for the five-year warranty. And it was right when all this whole coronavirus thing was starting and it was like, no, not that one extra thing now. And so the guy comes out and looks at it and it's gonna be, you know, like a $600 repair or something crazy, you know, almost as much as the fridge. And so it was like, we can't do that. So I, I called the warranty people. He says, well, why don't you call them? Because you never know. Sometimes they'll, they'll just approve it. So I called them. I explained the situation. She's like, no, sorry. It's, it's out, of, uh, out of warranty. Can't do anything for you. And so I said, okay, got to talk to your supervisor. She transfers me over to her supervisor. And this, this gal, she was my favorite. Because she, uh, she picks up the phone and I explain the situation. And man, right now with this whole situation, it is an awful time. And she goes, yeah, of course, we'll help you out with it. Let me call the guy and authorize the repair. Pay for the whole thing. And the lesson in that is, I, I think it's so important, especially for young people, don't give up too soon. Sometimes the, the door you're waiting to open just needs one more knock. 
Now, here's the other question. Here's what balances that out in those seasons. You got to ask the question, am I striving for something that I have no control over? Because it is a, a fine line between not giving up and between finding yourself in this place where you're just trying to make something happen that's never going to happen or that's never going to happen on your own. That's only something that only God can do. And so you need to really ask yourself, am I giving up too early? And if the answer is no, or is there a step of obedience or wisdom that I, that I need to take? And the answer is no. Then you need to move off to ask, am I striving for something I have no control over? And if the answer is yes, you probably know it because there's just no peace in that in your heart. There's this just tension. And you know you're trying to make something happen, but honestly, it's something that you can't make happen on your own. You know, worry and anxiety is often such a form of this because it's something we ruminate on over and over and we try to will something to happen in the form of worrying that we have no control over. And all it does if you're a worrier, you know, is you lose your peace. You become an unpleasant person to be around in your family, right? I love this prayer. It's the serenity prayer. And I think probably most of you have heard at least the, the first part of it. This, this prayer was made famous th through substance abuse groups as they came together, you know, and go through the steps to conquer substance abuse. But this is, this is a prayer that has so much wisdom in it. It says this, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Now you've heard that part before, haven't you? It goes on to, to finish like this. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever and ever in the next. Amen. I think that's such a, there's so much wisdom in that. When you find yourself in a situation where your back's up against the wall and asking those questions, you know, is there a step of obedience or wisdom I need to take? Am I giving up in this situation to easily, or am I striving for something I have no control over? Asking these questions will help you come to the place of going, okay, God, is there an action I need to take? Or literally in this moment, am I called to just be still and watch God move? Like Moses says, be still. The Egyptians that you see, you'll never see again. The Lord is going to fight for you. Be still. You need only to be still. The psalmist echoes this when he says, be still and know that I am God. And for some of you right now, that's exactly the place you're in. All of us will end up in this place at some point in our lives in some season where we don't have a way where our solution gets us out. And so I just, as we close, I wanna pray for those of you who might feel like you're in a dead end situation I want to pray for those of you who just want to give up. 
I want to pray for you, who, those of you who are seeking wisdom to know what is the next step to take in the situation I'm in. And I'm going to pray for you for peace and just the ability to know if there's a step you need to take and to know if you just need to be still and wait for him. And then I'm going to pray that you would see God's hand actively in your life. So we're going to pray in a second. But before we do, I just want to say for anyone out there who's tuned in, who's listening right now, and, and you've not taken the first step in connecting with God, which is really admitting that you are a sinner, that you can't make it to him on your own, and, that, and trusting in what Jesus did for you when he died and rose again. I want to give you the opportunity to do that. And if that's you, I want to invite you to pray along a prayer, something like this right after me. Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned. I cannot get to God on my own. But I want to accept the free gift you offer of eternal life. I want to turn my life to you. I want to leave my life of sin. I ask for your forgiveness. I ask you to save me and welcome me into your family. Thank you in Jesus' name. And Lord, for all my other friends, Lord, for those that just are, are struggling to know what step to take right now, Holy Spirit, just impress that on their heart, Lord. Lord, for those that can honestly say, man, I've taken every step I know that God's called me to take. I, I think I've done all the wisdom stuff that God's been calling me to do. And yet I still don't know where there's going. I pray you would give them the ability to be still and to wait for you. I pray you would bring peace into their hearts, Lord. Just bring peace into their lives right now, Lord. And then I pray that they would see your hand move so mightily in their life and so clearly and distinctly that they would have a moment where they, that, that they can look back on in future seasons and go, that moment. I know God came through. Thank you, Lord, for each one. I pray your blessing over them in Jesus' name. Amen.